You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, Allie. Hello, Will. And hello, David. Feed me, Will. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome, listeners, to 2021's Spooky Spookulative Evolution. Welcome back. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) This year, our theme are monster plants or plant monsters, whichever way you want to say it. Monstrous (laughs) plant monsters. Yeah. That one. It's that one. (laughs) Basically, plants doing things that they're not supposed to be. Murder (laughs) plants. (laughs) Plants undertaking activities that are worthy of the month of October. Yeah. 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 Uh, A lot of them, it's whenever plants are acting like animals is often yes <laughs> yeah right yeah, that's accurate a lot of the things <laughs> <laughs> yes plants doing their best animal impression exactly so for any of our first time listeners to spooky this is a mini series we do in the month of october where we take some of culture slash our favorite monsters and creatures and try to think of them from a scientific perspective and see if a creature like this were to evolve in the real world, how might it evolve? How might its attributes, its features, its adaptations match the stories that are being told about it? How might we get an animal or an organism that mirrors this monster? Yeah. Can we create a monster using the tool set of real world earth evolution? Exactly. And every year we have a theme. Yes. We did classic movie monsters. We did Greek mythology monsters. We did sea monsters. And this year we did plant monsters. Yeah. Which is why there's a third voice. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) The only uh, plant person you know. That's not true. You know more than Uh, that. (laughs) Well, our our favorite favorite plant person we know. Yeah. I'll take that. That's good. So yes, welcome to Spooky, Allie. I'm so excited. Like I was saying before we started recording, like I listened to last year's Spooky episodes while I was making a cursed uh, protostega uh, mold and it did not go well. So I needed the emotional support. (laughs) We, We are glad to provide it. Yes, thank you. So as we jump into this episode, one thing to keep in mind, everyone listening, is this is for fun. We are not making any definitive statements about the monster. So this is not an official declaration or description of these mythical creatures. (laughs) And we are not making any definitive statements on how something like this would evolve or all the ways it could evolve. We are spitballing how we three could think of evolving a monster fitting monster plants. As with previous years, there will be four episodes Mm -hmm. coming out on four consecutive Saturdays each with a different monster. Will, what's our monster for this first episode? People eating plants. Not like people eating salads and stuff. (laughs) No, no, no. People dash eating plants. Plants that consume human beings. Human eating plants. (laughs) That that hyphen's really loud. Yeah, the hyphen's important. It's pretty critical. Uh, This is typically what is referred to as man-eating plants, but they don't just eat men, so... We're being included. These are inclusive monster plants. (laughs) They will consume anyone. Absolutely. These are probably the most common monster plant. Like, when you think of a monster plant, it usually is some version of a plant that will eat a person, consume a person. These are extremely common and popular in today's media, as well as media of the past. These include... Any sort of plant that is typically mimicking or similar to a carnivorous plant, but usually giant and usually targeted at either people or people-sized animals. So let's go into a little bit of the history, the background, what features are common with these monster plants. First and foremost, uh, the origins of these stories is pretty obvious. There are carnivorous plants. This is true. We talked about, we did a whole episode with Allie about those, episode 105. Yeah. So like, we know that people have known about plants that eat animals for a long time. So it's not surprising that that would spiral off into being like, okay, yeah, but what if that fly trap, but me? Right. People are animals. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the origin is not difficult to point a finger at and be like, yeah, no, someone saw that and went, yeah, but bigger. 
and scarier. Like they did, like a lot of myths are <laughs> that that real thing, but a monster. But oh, <laughs> and and yeah, the connections there. But there are some other plants that could have inspired this. I saw a couple references to the corpse flower being one of the potential inspirations for a a giant grotesque monstrous plant well it smells like somebody already got eaten so that makes sense yeah and it's huge yeah this massive flower so the corpse flower is a giant flower that gives off a putrid smell attracts flies and carrion insects to pollinate it and yeah it's mat like they grow up to like 10 feet you know three meters or whatnot oh yeah i've seen one like they're massive unfortunately it wasn't quite blooming Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone asked me, like, what did it smell like? I'm like it didn't smell like anything yet. <laughs> it wasn't right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For our nerds out there, uh, the Pokemon Vile Plume yeah. yep. yes. is a corpse flower. Yes. In fact, Vile Plume's Japanese name is Rafflesia. Oh, yeah, it is. They're so cute. I mean, they're terrible, but they're cute. <laughs> so, yeah, there's plenty of real-world plants that inspire this idea of grotesque, disturbing scary plants so the inspirations blatantly there the earliest story that i was able to find and that was labeled as the first documented tale of a human eating plant was in 1878 the german explorer carl litch told a story after his trip to madagascar of the madagascar tree of a tree deep in the jungles but particularly on an island off of Madagascar, that when he went there, he met up with a tribe, the Makoto tribe, and witnessed a ritual of theirs where they went into the forest to this one particular tree where they would sacrifice, typically young women, to it. He described the tree as looking kind of like a pineapple, like squat trunk with then fronds coming up around the top. And then in the center, it sounded like almost a bromeliad situation where there was liquid in the center at the top of the trunk. Sounds like some sort of cycad. Right? Yeah, he said long, hairy tendrils coming off the top where the branches or leaves, the fronds would be. Okay, yeah. The girl was encouraged, prodded with some sort of uh, tool. (laughs) Convinced. (laughs) To climb the tree and drink from the liquid. And then when she did this the tree would come to life and they activate. And there is a quote from the account describing the tree attacking the sacrificial person. I'm not going to read all of it because it's like a paragraph, <clears throat> but the atrocious cannibal tree that had been so inert and dead came to sudden life, sudden savage life. The slender, delicate polypy with the fury of starved serpents quivered the moment over her head, and as if instinct, the demonic intelligence fastened upon her in sudden coils round and round her neck and arms. Ooh. And then it would pull the victim in and consume them. Wow. <laughs> Allie and I shared a look when you said the word cannibal. Right? Because that's not what a cannibal is. Nope. No. Huh. No. So so this sounds like a classic tale of a uh, white guy brings back scary stories from the deepest jungle. Absolutely. Yes. And this is... The first monster plant story that came back in that fashion. Uh, like, this is the classic white ger- white European explorer goes to distant... Right, to the dark continent. Not white <laughs> country. Yep. Yes. And brings back a story of <laughs> monsters. Well, hold on, hold on. It's even worse than that, though. Because it's not just monsters. It's like, these terrible people and the plant. Right. A savage tribe of, you know, primitive... Peoples, oh yeah, and it, and they were described as like particularly you know heinous and particularly hateful and particularly you know violent and blah 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 blah. Naturally, when this tale was investigated later on in like the 1950s, there was no trace of this tribe to be found. Like this tribe probably doesn't exist, mm-hmm. uh, didn't exist, mm-hmm. and no trace of the explorer of Lich either. Like. <laughs> He probably also didn't exist. This was probably just a story made up by someone. Listen, listen the, the trees had to silence him. <laughs> it's a cover-up. He knew too much. This is very much a, I knew a guy who knew a guy. Like, oh, I right. knew this yeah. guy who went, yeah, yeah. Every time he tells that story, the tree gets bigger. <laughs> yes. More cannibalistic. 
And so, yeah, none of the aspects of the story have even shown to be a real tribe or, like, they don't even name the island. Mm -hmm. It's just an island off Madagascar. So, patently, like, we all knew this tree wasn't real, but also the story doesn't even have a real person in it. (laughs) (laughs) So, completely fabricated, but it is not the only one of this kind. Slightly later in the 1890s, there's the story of the Nicaraguan vampire vine. Ooh. Good name, right? Uh Uh-huh. This is a story brought back by a naturalist called Dustin. No other name given. So once again, extremely valid. My buddy Dustin. (laughs) (laughs) Like, in the original account, it was... I think they described him as, like, like, very trustworthy naturalist or something like that, or very reliable naturalist. Yeah. Known as Dustin. A very reliable guy I know. (laughs) (laughs) By first name only. There are some who called him... (laughs) Dustin. <laughs> but evidently, Dustin went to Nicaragua and when exploring the swamps with his dog near the Lake Nicaragua and while collecting specimens, suddenly heard his dog yelp, cry out. So he went to check it out and found his dog entangled by the vines of a plant. He said they were dark in color, almost black, emitting a sticky gum that smelled very bad. I found a couple of descriptions that said it was like an octopus, arms wrapping around the dog. He went to save his dog, hacked away the plant. In the story, the dog survives. Of course. But that it was a major struggle because he wasn't able to pull them off with just his hands. He had to hack them away to get the dog free and save the dog. But both he and the dog suffered injuries. The The skin on the hand where he had grabbed the vines had blistered. And the dog was covered in bloody spots, bloody marks, and like pucker marks. The idea of this plant, which it is said the locals called the devil's snare, was that it was a vine or vine-like plant that would wrap around things and then puncture them, tear at the flesh in some way, and then suck their blood through the wounds. I am enjoying this just way too much. Right? <laughs> That's a cool plant. Yes. One described them having little suckers, like little leech-like mouths <gasps> that were doing the the blood drinking. I am literally like leaning forward, like, please tell me more <laughs> about these murder plants. Oh yeah, it's super crazy. Now, the story, of course, that original post that this story came out in turned out to be a reprinting of another story from another magazine when they finally looked into it. Mm. And like, once again, the Dustin is described as a well-known naturalist from new Orleans. Right. And that's it. You know, so there's no evidence that this Dustin ever existed and no samples of the devil snare, but there is a devil snare. Like that is a plant. The devil snare is one of the nightshades. Solanaceae. Yeah. And is central American, but has now been like introduced to lots of regions, evidently it's a very uh, uh, prolific weed, so it it's all over the place now. That checks out. I mean, Solanaceae nightshades, like a lot of them are murder plants without right? also being murder plants. So, like, yes. <laughs> that checks out. And and this one is indeed toxic, but it's hallucinogenic. Oh, Ooh. I'm here for this. Right. Ooh. So there is a devil snare that is unusual. It is toxic. And everything and could cause you to see crazy things. Right. <laughs> like an octopus plant. Oh, I'm, I'm here for this. This also is not the only blood-sucking plant. I also came across the Yate Veo tree, which is also South American or African, uh, or maybe both. I, <laughs> it, you know, once again, places with jungles. Dis- right, one disclaimer. of those jungle places. <laughs> those are different places. Uh, but they, yeah, right? are, <laughs> they are both Gondwanan. So like, yes. there's that. Yeah. If the Yateveo goes back that far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is from a Pangean white <laughs> explorer who went out into the jungles. Yeah. This one is a tree. And it's said to get its name from a hissing sound it makes that sounds like the Spanish ve- phrase Yateveo, uh, which huh. I, don't, I don't know what the translation was. I didn't find that. Yeah, hissing uh, tree. But it, that it makes a sound that gave it its name. And this one is covered in long spikes. So it's a spiked tree. So like I was picturing acacia, but like evidently very big spikes. And, and there are trees with very big spikes 
uh, today. Honey you? locust will do spikes. I figured spikes on spikes on <laughs> nope. spikes, so they can be like easily. <laughs> Sorry, I am an American. I know imperial measurements off the top of my head. They're like 18 inches long, and then they will have more spikes on top of them. There you go. Wow, so so 45 centimeters. Thank you. Picture one of those trees that will then bear hug you (gasps) and impale you with said spikes and then suck your blood out. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm on the plant side this entire time. (laughs) We all are. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, the, the description I found said the spikes would remain hidden until triggered, and then they would impale. Uh, they're so they were like, spikes. yes, either the plant wrapped, or it was like you get too close to the tree, and suddenly a spike, uh, Raiders of the Lost Arcs, out into you. Uh, it's like the it's like that guy from X Men Three. Yes, <laughs> gives really bad hugs. Yes. I like that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a verb. Yes. <laughs> it stabs you, absorbs your blood, and then resets itself right yep. for the so next for the victim. next ambush. Victim. Yep. There's also the death flower, uh, which you know is a cool name, but not very creative. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's no vampire vine. This is a meaty, flesh-eating flower that lulls its victims into its trap by emitting a a chemical, a pheromone, a toxin that puts you to sleep. And when you fall asleep on the petals, it then just engulfs the victim. I'm sure that it's just um, a misunderstanding that it's just trying to make you very comfortable. You've got the soft bed, just trying to tuck you in, like all a misunderstanding. It's trying to to cuddle accidentally smothers. Yes, yes, Mm. yes. So close. (laughs) I might as well eat this now. Well. (laughs) Can't let it go to waste. That's right. This is supposed to be in the the South Pacific Islands, but once they're not given any like specific place or or anything, right. they're never in like Minnesota. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're always in creepy places, right? Far off, distant places where <laughs> where, no, where no one can uh, confirm or deny my story. Yeah, where I don't live. <laughs> so there's been tons of stories of human eating plants of, of these predatory plants, and they've been portrayed in just so many different ways in media like when anything that poison ivy does typically (laughs) uh, the batman villain poison ivy yeah yep Yep. (laughs) (laughs) like anytime any of the her plants would fall into these categories but there are like old historical examples well of stories being told uh one of the earliest ones i came across was by hg wells a story in 1894 called the flowering of the strange orchid which was about a a, a florist, I think, guy with a greenhouse who gets a hold of this exotic orchid and plants it in his greenhouse. Talks about when it starts growing, it starts growing these seeking out aerial roots that he described having like a a searching or finger-like quality as they were growing unusually. The flower grows, it blooms, and he describes it having a sweet fragrance that is overpowering and as he's in the greenhouse with the plant he starts feeling lightheaded and eventually collapses and then i think in the story it was his wife or maybe assistant or someone else who was noticed that he was past due for tea i think uh yeah was like well where is he i'll go check the greenhouse and found him passed out on the floor and the orchid had grown those aerial roots to him and attached to his face and neck, and were sucking his blood. Ooh. Murder plant! With the yeah. roots, which makes a lot of sense. Right? Yeah, Through, yeah. Once again, leech-like suckers that had formed, and were draining him dry. I think the story began with the orchid being discovered, clutched in the arms of a desiccated person. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So there ton- there's tons of stories. Uh, one of my favorites, especially one of the more ridiculous ones, is Biollante, the Godzilla villain. Yep. <laughs> so I do plan. Yep. Oh, 1989's yes. Godzilla versus Biollante is a story about a scientist whose daughter dies. So naturally, he mixes her DNA with a rose, her favorite flower. Yep. Uh, which creates semi-sentient roses, like, as they like do. they do. Yep. Then when a volcano starts to go off, and he's worried about the flowers being destroyed, he then further combines them with some Godzilla DNA so that they will be invincible. 
Right. This is a relatable protagonist. Yeah. When you are a caring father. <laughs> yep. Uh, which increases their sentience and turns them into a, as the uh, official Godzilla wiki described it, a Godzilla rose human tribrid. Oh. <laughs> which is just a phenomenal term. <laughs> that turns into a, a giant rose with a mouth in the middle and a bunch of mouthy mouth-ended tendrils. That fights Godzilla, loses the first fight, and then becomes a more Godzilla plant with a big crocodile face that sprays acid sap and is just awesome. Uh, and then it dies and it pollinates out into space, as you do. Right. Hold on. I have a question. I have a question. Um, <laughs> how? D- All right. So plants, you know, super known for their mobility. How yeah. was, was it like the human and Godzilla part that like gave it feet? Like, how was it walking around? It actually has like root feet. Uh, it doesn't actually have legs. It's more like it's it's grown into the ground, but then it can push itself forward with these these uh, almost crustacean-looking roots. Uh, so kind of like mangrovey a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. All right. All right. Just a bit more like that. Envision this. I like how yeah. you went with an animal description and I went with a plant description. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's why we brought you on. Yeah. But a bit more recent stuff. You get some of the more classic viewings with like Jumanji. Uh, yeah. The the 1995 Jumanji, the vines that grow faster than bamboo are like your classic, you know, deepest, darkest fill-in space uh, plants that seek out humans, wrap them up in tendrils, bring them toward big yellow pods that will eat them. They also had those purple ones. Yeah, the darts. Yeah, the, the, dar- the poison darts. Yep. Yes. And it, that's the whole point of Jumanji is it's leaning on that European view of Africa mm-hmm. and turning everything up to 11. I mean, they but literally plants... had Tiff helmets. So like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like those plants basically fit right into all the earlier stories we went through. Like they are just one of those plants. You also, there are more recent films like The Ruins, which is a more modern, you know, very 2008 take of this kind of plant, uh, Aztec ruins covered by these vines that lure people in and then either consume them or infect them and take over their mind and stuff like that. Uh, it's a horror movie. I actually kind of liked it. And yeah, it's not amazing, but it's a pretty, pretty decent movie with spoiler warning plants that are tactical in their way of catching people. Uh, they show that they are able to mimic the sound of like a cell phone ring from a, old cell phone from the previous victims to lure people further into the temple. And they have little flowers that evidently go and can create the sound. (laughs) They also get into a person's wound, wounded leg at one point. And then there are vines moving through their body and messing with them, you know, giving their perceptions of reality a twist. So a bit more sinister, but it's actually... It's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. I'm team plant again. Right? <laughs> it's for the plant side of it. It's it's worth it. Uh, the movie's fine. The movie's fine. Um, but probably, arguably, the most famous portrayal of a person eating plant, consuming plant in media would be Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. yes. <laughs> David, you're a fan of the Little Shop of Horrors. I sure am. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors is a story about a down-on-his-luck idiot named Seymour, <laughs> whose life changes when he comes into possession of a strange and interesting plant. The plant itself, which resembles uh, some sort of fly trap, uh, he brings to the florist shop where he works taking care of plants, and the plant starts to garner lots of attention, which brings fame to Seymour and to the shop itself. And soon he realizes that his growing fame and the success of the place where he works is dependent upon his ability to take care of this new little flytrap-like plant. He soon discovers, however, that the plant can only thrive and survive if fed human blood. Hey, we've heard stories like that. Yeah, we have. (laughs) At first, he's able to keep the plant alive by pricking his finger and feeding it drops of his own blood. But as the plant grows larger and requires more food, it eventually tells Seymour (laughs) that it needs food by uh, very famously saying, feed me, among other phrases. 
convincing Seymour to go out and find it prey to feed upon, until eventually the plant has grown large enough that it is able to consume entire human beings whole. Now, I have kept the details of the story intentionally vague because they vary depending on which version of the story you're looking at. The original story, Little Shop of Horrors, was a 1960 movie called The Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Roger Corman. It is a black and white, dark comedy of relatively little note as these things go. This wasn't like a really popular movie. It was a B movie. Yeah, this was the one that made it famous. Yeah. It was later adapted, much more famously, in 1982 into a stage version of the story called Little Shop of Horrors. Music and lyrics by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, which is why it's so good. (laughs) I feel like I've heard of them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The stage version started off off Off-Broadway, made its way to Off-Broadway, and then to Broadway. Uh, It has had many different tours and revivals over the years. To this day, it's still a favorite of like community theaters and schools, which, uh, in fact, the first, my introduction to Little Shop of Horrors was when my middle school did a performance. My middle school uh, drama club did Little Shop of Horrors. Which is pretty neat. And then, of course, the stage version also spawned another movie, this one an adaptation of the stage version, which is a musical, and so was the movie. The 1986 movie, directed by Frank Oz, Little Shop of Horrors, starring Rick Moranis and Ellen Green and uh, Steve Martin. Just all the names. Probably (laughs) the most famous version of the story. That's the one I was introduced to. Yes, same, me too. Now, I'm not going to go through all the plot details in each of the different stories, but since we're talking about monster plants, I do want to touch upon the monster plant in the different versions. Be warned, here follow some spoilers for all the different versions of Little Shop of Horrors. (laughs) In every version of the story, Seymour names the plant after his co-worker Audrey, who he is in love with. In the 1960 film, the plant is named Audrey Jr., and it is described as being a cross between a flytrap and a butterwort. Or at the very least, that's the best that Seymour can guess based on his uh, identifications of it. As far as special abilities go, the plant eats blood and it eats people and it grows very, very fast. It talks, although it doesn't talk very much. Uh, Most of its talking is uh, short bursts of words. It doesn't really move hardly at all except to open and shut its trap to talk or to eat people. It does, however, have hypnosis. (laughs) It has hypnotic powers. In one scene, it hypnotizes Seymour to make him go out and find it more food. (laughs) In the play version, starting in the 1982 version, the plant is renamed Audrey II, as is the famous name of the plant. In the play, it is strongly implied that Audrey 2 came from space. Mm-hmm. That Audrey 2 is an alien that has come to, to Earth for uh, uh, its own nefarious plans. <laughs> for alien reasons. For alien reasons. This version of the plant moves and talks much more. Uh, it talks, it has conversations, it sings. Uh, it is manipulative. It convinces Seymour to do stuff for it by sweet-talking him. <laughs> Audrey 2 often moves more, so oftentimes the, the version, the, the stage performance, the plant will be a big puppet uh, that moves its head and its mouth around. Sometimes there's vines that move around. On the other hand, there's hints of that hypnotic power. Mm-hmm. Like there are a couple things here and there in the story that seem to maybe imply some sort of hypnotic power. Uh, at one point, the character of Audrey decides to go to the shop because she cites voices in her head. And they're not explicitly linked to the plant, but maybe the plant also takes credit for the way people are acting in sort of bringing attention to Seymour in the shop, which could just be the plant talking itself up, Mm -hmm. but could also maybe be vestiges of that hypnosis. Yeah, it's not not the plant. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) The plant is also uh, described as being very difficult to stop. So in this version, Audrey 2's plan is to take over the world, or at least to take over the country. And when Seymour discovers this and tries to stop it, the plant proves to be unstoppable by means of poison or stabbing or shooting, <laughs> depending on uh, what version you're watching. Uh, the, the last two common ways of getting rid of plants. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's, that's how you go weed eating out there with your pistol. 12 gauge. <laughs> 
the plant's plan. Audrey 2's plan is that once it garners enough fame, people around the country want to grow their own Audrey 2's. So cuttings of the plant are spread across the country, at which point we are informed by the narrators of the play that Audrey 2's around the country go on to eat lots and lots of people. Then there's the 1986 movie. <laughs> the 1986 movie is a very faithful adaptation of the play, so most of the details are the same. In this version, it is explicitly stated that Audrey 2 is an alien. Yeah. Audrey 2 has a song about it in the movie. Audrey 2 moves even more in the movie thanks to movie magic and some really impressive puppetry. It's so good. <laughs> the head, the mouth, vines. Uh, it uses its vines in very powerful and dexterous ways to perform actions, including but not limited to grabbing people, destroying parts of the shop, shooting a pistol, <laughs> and using a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, there's barely any vestige remaining of its hypnotic powers, so that this seems to be the trade-off. When you can shoot a gun, why do you need it? <laughs> right, who needs to do this, though? And you can talk on the phone. The place where the 1986 movie differs most from the play version is in the ending. So originally, the movie was planned to have an ending very similar to the play, where the plant goes on to take over the world. But in test viewing, test screens, test audiences hated it. Yeah. <laughs> so they quickly made a new version where Seymour defeats the plant and then he and Audrey go off uh, and live somewhere that's green. Uh, they defeat the plant by electrocuting it. Oh, right. Uh, which is how, of course, another common way to yep. uh, get rid of plants. Haze those weeds. I They're have, full of water, right? That's how that works. I have so many questions about that. <laughs> well, you give it a heart attack, right? That, exactly, yeah. The cardiac <laughs> yeah. arrest, it goes right through. <laughs> right. However, in 2012, Warner Home Media released what they have billed as the director's cut, where a team of people got together to use old footage of the original ending to restore a version of that ending, which means that there exists a version of the story that ends instead of narrators telling us that Audrey 2 went on to take over the world, an extended sequence of kaiju Audrey 2s destroying cities across America. And just having the best time doing it. And it's fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's just them like going up against the military and ignoring being shot and the entire time just going, <laughs> just laughing it up. While Don't Feed I the Plants plays this. in the background. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> a, a pretty famous story. Famous Audrey, famous plant, Audrey 2. Uh, possibly the most famous monster plant. It's one of very, very few that has a name. Yes. Not like a designation, like Devil's Snare, but like, a name. Yep. Like a personal name. Yeah, and if and if you say that to like a normal person, they'll like if you say Audrey too, they're like, Oh yeah. It's like yeah, a it's, it's a cultural thing. People people know. People know me. Yes. yes. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's also what it, a lot of the other cartoon or monster plants you'll see and stuff are just, you know, copyright not infringed right. versions of Audrey yeah. too. It's a piranha plant. It's a piranha plant, exactly. Which is another good example. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Which brings us about to where we can start speculating on how we might evolve a person-eating plant. But before that, as usual, we need to make a disclaimer. Now, when trying to evolve monsters, we are often going to come across traits that are impossible to evolve. This is our magic disclaimer. A lot of times, there are going to be features or behaviors or acts or abilities that just are physically impossible in our real world. You know, magical things, things that defy physics, things that just are not realistic, you know, just not something that would happen in the natural world for one reason or another. And we are not going to attempt to make those happen. Right. <laughs> so we will maybe try to figure out something that mimics those things or would inspire those kinds of stories but if we come across a fire-breathing plant we're not gonna try to make that work the way it does in the story so what you're saying is we're not evolving a godzilla plant that shoots its pollen out into space no or neither are we gonna evolve a psychic right. manipulative plant <laughs> wait that's why i'm here <laughs> yeah, all, i gotta go oh this is gonna be a real lonely spooky this year but with that how could we evolve a plant that consumes human beings in an active way? 
Okay. <laughs> Before anything else, I want to like, I was going to say plant a seed, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to plant a <laughs> seed. Do it. Do sure, it. sure. <laughs> Are y'all familiar with the concept of a murder garden? No. Mm, I I know I've heard that term, but no, I, I don't okay. actually know what it is. Okay. This is relevant, I promise. So I think I feel like it was the Victorians, but I often blame most things on the Victorians, so I may be wrong. Um, Safe bet. I mean, it's typically the Victorians. So there was uh, there was some like noble woman who was kind of eccentric, and she wanted what was or like maybe it was called a death garden, murder garden. Basically, it is a garden of just really toxic plants. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 I have heard of these. Super toxic plants. And they, like, there are a couple of them, like, around the world. And a lot of them have signs. They're basically like, if you are not supremely fit, if you have any health conditions, do not enter. (laughs) Because, like, they're just, like, the pollen and whatever from these plants can make people hallucinate, can make you, like, nauseous, can make people pass out. So, like, I just want to throw out there that literally plants just sitting around in the world in a pretty garden can, like, (laughs) attempt to murder you. So I just kind of want to, like, remind you how many options you have for murder plants. Right. (laughs) I, I was thinking about that as you were going through the history that a lot of those stories seem to involve the plants incapacitating people. Yep one way or another and i think that toxins or uh like you know hallucinogens and things like that are a great avenue which is great because those already exist yeah in plants as you're pointing out well and at least a couple of the stories involve them using those kinds of toxins to pass out their victim to Mm -hmm. put them to sleep or knock them out somehow and then they'd slowly consume them so it doesn't necessarily have to be a right a violent consumption. It could be a much more <laughs> slow, insidious one. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, so plants are really good at talking to each other too. So like, even if it's just not one like individual plant, it could be a whole bunch of them. So, cause like the beautiful smell of fresh cut, cut grass is grass screaming at its friends. Like there's a predator here. Right. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> so, like... Now, if we wanted a monster plant that did consume uh it seems to me so so when we're if we're thinking about our evolutionary scenario we need a good starting point right now of course there are lots of carnivorous plants Allie, what strikes you as our local plant expert if if any group of plants on the planet was going to evolve to eat people okay so i was thinking about this obviously i was listening and i had thoughts (laughs) there were kind of two um i guess trajectories that i tended to see in the stories so i feel like the venus fly trap pitcher plant like i feel like that's too easy Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know what I mean that that feels like the obvious choice because there are so many other things like I do really like the idea of like maybe not digesting because like basically we have the it eats you it digests you and your poof gone or the it sucks your blood and I'm actually much right? more drawn to the it sucks your blood because I feel <laughs> like the we already have carnivorous plants. Like literally it would just be making a big uh, like pitcher plant. And that's boring. Like I want to see how we would make like a, a vine or an orchid or somebody like that into a murder plant. Like that is what I find more interesting. Which like, <laughs> at least as far as the stories I was able to find were as common as the ones that physically consumed. And even the ones that are so like Audrey too is famous for being, you know, chomp, chomp, nom, 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 eat people. But often using vines Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a mobile tool also starts out eating blood. Yep. Starts out feeding on blood. And it's it's implied in the story is that that's really why it eats people. Yeah, it wants the blood inside us. the blood, not so much the flesh. Yeah. It wants red meat. (laughs) So if we, now, I think the biggest thing with a predatory plant, because that's really what we're going, you know, Mm Is that they are uh, much more mobile? Yeah. Yes. Than plants tend to be. It has to catch large prey. Catch large prey. Now there is the option of going with 
we evolve an animal that looks and acts like a plant. Yeah. Which is a shortcut around the mobile thing. But in and then why would you even have listeners... me here? Like, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so instead, <laughs> uh, now obviously plants are not totally immobile. Is there like, are there particularly mobile plants? Yeah, vines. That's their whole thing. <laughs> like that was my first thought. So I mean, it, okay, there are really cool videos of how vines twine because they search for where to put their next like however they use to climb so they basically move around until they hit something like oh i can climb here and then they move around until they hit something and then i can climb here so if you in terms of like speed and mobility like vine i'm thinking vines yeah makes sense that 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 absolutely makes sense when uh, another plant that popped into my head talking about the toxicity because that shows up a number of times is that it could be something where it's emitting something but one that popped in my head was stinging nettles yes we could have venomous plants that inject you Mm -hmm. with a paralytic or something yeah and actually paralyze you chemically i do like both i i really like the idea of plants luring in victims yeah Mm -hmm. because we also need a hunting method yeah you know, how are you getting... Va- and carnivorous plants in the real world often use a lure yeah. mechanic, right? They're releasing... Either they look a certain way or they smell a certain way that draws in their prey. So the thing you have to be careful about with that is, as I discussed when we were talking about carnivorous plants, is that it tends to not be the flower, because they need pollinators. But if it's like wind pollinated, then it doesn't matter. It can have a pretty flower to like seduce the silly mammals and then just be wind pollinated. But like, oh. you got options. <laughs> that that actually gave me an idea, circling back to the beginning of talking about the inspirations of what if part of the use of feeding on a person was also pollination. Once you kill the person, you have a rotting corpse. You can attract <laughs> flies and pollinators oh. uh, just like the corpse flower, but you're not producing that smell yourself. You're killing it. You're yeah. farming it out. Oh, yeah. yes. I am so on board with that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it, it could be like they kill the person and then bloom their fa- flowers on the body Yeah. <laughs> to then attract the pollinators. So technically not a plant, but plant adjacent. This reminds me a lot of cordyceps. Like, yeah. yep. this it, this feels very much like, oh man, okay, did, y- did y'all ever play Final Fantasy Tactics? Nope. No, oh, I didn't. My, like my favorite game. So there <laughs> is a part of it where there's like this particular flower that only like blooms if they've been poisoned or whatever. But I kind of like the idea of like... Oh, it's like the century plant or something that'll only bloom uh, under very particular uh, uh, circumstances, and it is murder. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I'm re- like really into this. Well, and could you have so uh, you you had mentioned the one story of the plant actually eating with its roots? Yeah. So, like you know, a vine sucking up uh, uh, blood is a cool idea. But what I like about the roots thing is that is what roots do. Yeah. Is yeah. that they bring in water and nutrients. So the thought of a corpse as food for your babies, as that's your fertilizer, mm-hmm. and your babies are rooting in that, in those remains. Yeah, I do like that a lot. Yes, and building on from that, um, you mentioned aerial roots, and that's totally a thing. Because, like, imagine if you, like, lure in this body, it is up against this vine that is in a tree or whatever, like... If you have aerial roots, which are roots coming out above the ground, you could just stab in and straw out the blood. You like it doesn't even have to be at the ground. Like you have so many different places you can do that from. Like, yes, I'm so on board. Now we talked about toxicity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a good I don't know what the fastest acting plant toxins are, but we do know from biology that it is possible to have toxins that will kill things yeah. in seconds. And I'd, I'd be shocked if plant chemistry can't yeah. match or surpass now all the other venoms we know of. I know that there is at least one type of fungus that hunts by creating basically uh, uh, nooses 
that it'll form these coils in its mycelium. And I think it's nematodes. When a worm crawls through it, the coil snaps tight around it and holds it there. And then the, the fungus sucks the nutrients out of the body of the worm. It's that one. Oh, Will has it in his notes. It's Arthrobotrys dactyloides, like I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one that hunts nematodes in the ground with those little those little loops. And that makes perfect sense to me as something that a plant would also be able to do. Because, like, obviously, if you think about Venus flytraps, like the little hairs that trigger, like, plants are really good at that. But also, plants are capable of pretty rapid motion. Again, you've got the Venus flytrap closing, but you've also got things like the sensitive plant where the yeah. leaves will shut. So like you have, that is totally something that a plant would be able to do if something is triggered like, okay, I did the thing and then you would be stuck. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a complex motion. It just has to be fast enough to either grab or sting or mm-hmm. ensnare enough. Like I, 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 I'm almost picturing the the cliche cartoon rope trap. Yes. Like, loop on the ground. Yep. But it's like, yeah, <laughs> if you step into this tangle of vines, they will just contract around things mm-hmm. enough, and then can sting. You have stingers, or have the yep. the you know stinging nettle type thorns that could sting into your leg or whatever. And what I like about that is that Allie was mentioning the aerial roots, that if you just have a net of roots, that if someone stumbles into it and it snaps around your leg or whatever and pokes you, it doesn't even have to hold you for that long, just long enough for that toxin to take Mm -hmm. effect, then then you fall over in that place. It just needs you to pass out near enough to the plant, not half a mile into the forest as you run away. Yes. Yep. And then the roots can either grow in that direction, or if we want, they can pull. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. aren't there, like, isn't that something vines can do where they coil themselves to pull things in? I feel like if, if that feels like something they can do, I know that yeah. they can, like, <laughs> if they reach out for something, like, it could move. And I mean, like, that's, think about, like, a strangler fig. The whole thing is that, like, I'm going to wrap myself around this thing, and it is inside me now. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The toxin doesn't even need to be fatal. Yeah. You just need to pass out there. Yeah. <laughs> that fast-growing plant. And you just, yeah, you're just there for a few days as you watch the kudzu speed yes. plant yeah. engulf you. That's what I was about <laughs> to say. Like, think about, like, kudzu. Like, if that thing gets going, like, I'm sorry, there there used to be a human in there, but, like. Yeah. Well, and I, well, the other thing I like thinking about, uh, another thing you said earlier, Allie, that plants are really good at communicating. Mm-hmm. That. Even if you do get away from this plant, it could very well be that these plants are loosely, you know, grow in a similar area so that there's a good chance you're going to stumble into another one. Yeah. That has activated because this plant has released the, hey, you should activate chemical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, dinner's coming. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And this conveniently gets around uh, one of the big issues that a lot of these stories have of plants sort of predatorially seeking out prey because if a plant lineage was going to evolve the ability to seek things out right plants have very limited senses you'd think that somewhere along the evolutionary line the plant would have to suddenly see more yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was thank you good night yeah right magnificent So what what would be a good choice of a group of plants that could develop this habit of aerial roots, maybe even roots and vines? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I mean, because like the vines could be doing the stinging, the roots could be doing the feeding. It doesn't have to be one (laughs) structure. That's true. Mm -hmm. Because we're not thinking, at least in my head, I'm not picturing, like there's no big pod for eating. No. uh, I I feel like it should almost be... Something that could blend in with grass and underbrush or something. Right, right. There's I not could a big just tree. be, yeah, stumbling along and trudging through the underbrush, and suddenly something jumps up and bits me, and then I'm paralyzed. Well, and then you reach down to take it off of you, and you trigger the other vines. Exactly. Yeah. As you yeah. struggle, it'll it will be like the sundew where it just continually sticks you, but yes. you're just getting tangled up in it. Yeah. Yes. So it will look like you wrestled with the plant if someone finds you, but really you just kept getting tangled in it, yeah. like getting tangled in a net. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. 
So in terms of the like, like stinging nettles, that is what the family Urticaceae is known for. It's these like, it's literally named for the needles. Um, so if you want that like needle inject- injection, it kind of has to be Urticaceae. I'm trying to think. I feel like nettles aren't known for being vines. So yeah. Now this could have started evolving millions of years ago. This We're not true. even picking a point in the timeline. This yeah, is true. A vastly divergent lineage. This is true. And there are like existing groups of carnivorous plants that are vines. So like that is a thing that exists. Um, but okay. I, I don't yeah, want yeah. those because I told you my favorite, uh, <laughs> my favorite carnivorous plant is a vine that has three different types of leaves. Uh, tri- triophyllum. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of a nettle that evolves this this body shape. We could do that. Or it could be something viney and rooty that evolves nettle-like. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it could be something to where, like, if it's not injecting... I know that some plants have caustic sap. Yes. It could be coated, you know. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. It, that like, part of the triggering is it oozes its sap onto the tips of its thorns or needles or prickles and then stabs you yeah or it could doesn't even have to i mean we i like the stabby idea yeah yes. but it doesn't even have to stab you i mean poison ivy doesn't stab you and it oh, does poison? just fine what are we doing no no no. I'm, I'm saying i'm I mean... saying <laughs> there are multiple it could yes. be poisonous and venomous <laughs> it can be both Horcandalus dos <laughs> if you want some like all right okay okay so i'm gonna give you options <laughs> great so we talked about multiple, if you want like heavy duty spines, like honestly, no one's going to be better than Fabaceae because that's your acacia. That is your honey locust. Like we know that they can do spines. I like that. Right. And we know they can do vines because kudzu is in Fabaceae. Ooh, okay. And if it's on the floor, then we could even get around the retractable spikes thing. Yeah. It's not going into a trunk. It's just buried down a little bit. Yeah, and exactly. It pops up. Yeah, yeah. So we could, you could do that. If you don't like that idea, I got to back up. Um, Rosaceae. Um, roses. Like, oh. you have the twining roses. They're also known for, uh, you know, the spikes on them. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty. I the thing I... The thing, right. I was going to say, the thing I like most about that is it makes them pretty, which is a, which not only is very sinister, yep. but it's, yeah, that's a beautiful, deadly plant, but also fits a lot of the typical, well, like in Jumanji, you yep. know, yep. they're beautiful. Well, yeah, but, I'll, and also they'll kill you. Yes. Also, maybe it's just me, but like thinking about a lot of mythology, I feel like it being a rose would just be very appropriate because like it, it makes me think of say like Beauty and the Beast because she wants mm-hmm. a rose and that's how all of the bad things happen. Right? Maybe that's also part of the luring mechanism. Yeah. yeah. If nothing else gets you, there's a rose here. Yeah. There's a bright, vibrant color that you to, can go investigate to get mm-hmm. your dainty Victorian women <laughs> uh, to walk into it. Yes. It also uh, is what Biolante was. So you know. Yep. Parallels there. You got the Biolante thing. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Put it on an island and get a gigantic version. Yes, an insular. Insular. Uh, carnivorous rose. Whatever we're describing. That makes sense. And then you get sense. a giant. Because, yeah, gigantism. Like, island gigantism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect and there, sense. And I, I do happen to know that there is island gigantism and dwarfism in plants. Yeah. It does happen for plants as well. I say I know. Yeah. I, that was me. That was me being like, "Hey, I know a thing yeah. about plants." Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I, Allie's nodding because, yes, of course, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Rosaceae has a uh, cosmopolitan distribution. Like you can find Rosaceae and Fabaceae too. That is good. Was going to bring up my other question about where they live. The other thing I like about roses is because they are it's prickles with roses, right? Yes. That's the technical term. You are correct. Yeah. Because uh, every rose does not have its thorn. We, we um, know plant stuff. <laughs> we got to botany class and they went through it and we were all like, wait, the song's been lying to us all these years. But the prickles, the thing that always stood out to me as a kid about them is that they come off very easily. Yes. They detach, which I also kind of like if they work that way with this plant, because then it could have the the bee sting sort of thing. Where, like oh. It could grab you. Tangle you up for a little bit, but then even if you get the vine off, all the prickles are embedded in you. Yeah. Still yeah. with the venom coming in. And so you'd have to pick out every single one before you 
had a chance yeah. to avoid envenomation. Uh, so it's just it's just leaving these like it's like a, a a barbed whip that leaves all the barbs in. Thorn whip. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then my next question, as I mentioned, is in ba- most of these stories, there is a tendency for these plants to live deep in the jungle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From time to time. From time to time. It, would that be so we're imagining something that obviously is going to be big yeah right this this can grow enough vine enough root to take over the body of at least one human being yes would it need to be somewhere tropical to have enough nutrient or to have enough warmth or sunlight or whatever to fuel that would this happen as we discussed in the carnivorous plants episode in a place where nutrients are poor yeah exactly like and this is a supplemental to that that's you know maybe that is that why it's hunting what kind of habitat would best suit our uh, uh let's call it a vampire vine because that's the best thing. <laughs> our murder rose our murder <gasps> murder <yeah>. rose yes <laughs> okay so i'm trying to think so rosaceae is a honking huge family like basically every fruit tree unless it's a citrus basically every fruit tree is a oh my goodness a rosaceae so like your apples your cherries your pears all that stuff your blackberries your raspberries all of that, those are all rosaceae. It's a honking huge family. So, but also off the top of my head, I don't tend to like associate it with these like nutrient poor environments because it's not like, it's not like a bog situation, right? Like you, you tend right. to not find like roses and bogs. They tend to be in forests, but that also kind of makes sense that like, maybe it's not necessarily, oh, Okay, so maybe it's not necessarily that it's like a light problem or like that it's a nutrient problem in in terms of like, oh my goodness, what if it's like iron? What if it's just like iron deficient? (gasps) Oh, the blood. The blood. The life is in the blood. Yeah, too much iron in your blood. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe, I wonder if that's it. Because anyway, like I tend to, when you think of like raspberries and roses and that sort of stuff, like apples they tend to be forest which kind of makes sense with where we are hearing these stories come from that it's like kind of a an overgrown forest situation that like maybe this is the only thing that it can really do like it's it's you know getting light because it's a vine and it can go up but you know it's being out competed for uh some of the nutrients so instead it just like get that nice nice iron supplement the thing, I really like that. The thing that I'd like to add to that, and I don't know how the chemistry of this works out, mm-hmm. but it makes me want for it to be true that the better fed it is, the redder its flowers are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, that just makes sense. Yeah. Right. Iron red, right? That's yeah. how it works. I mean, <laughs> I don't... I'll allow it. I mean, it's not what... <laughs> that's not what makes it red. Uh, it's carotenoids. The iron goes to the pigments and the... In the leaves, obviously. Or the petals, I, I guess. I mean, maybe it does. I don't know. I know they're carotenoids. Like, that's all I got. Um, we'll, right. we'll go with it. It could be. I, I like this I like plant that. we've come up with. I, I've been trying to think of names for it. And the, the best thing I've come up with so far is the Venus Guy Trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a working title. Oh, my God. But I know I like this. So we've got a rose, a lineage of the rose mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. group of of plants that grows as a patch of vines and roots that it uses to uh, react when something approaches, when something steps into it, triggers it, triggers it, and it'll wrap around your ankle or whatever, sting you with a bunch of venomous stuff to knock you out. And if you fall down nearby, then the roots start growing over uh, to create a corpse that can serve for fertilizer for mm-hmm. offspring and for pollinate pollination yes. from uh, happy, friendly bugs and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I also like that because it means that a person, you can have the horror movie scenario of a person who steps into it and like falls over trying to get themselves out of it and turns and sees a skull <gasps> yep. looking out yes. from under the the mass of roots. Yes. <laughs> that, that's a death garden. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Ooh. I like it a lot. I think we've done good today. I like where that went. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and, and I like the, that the, the triggering because it's, you know, I'm picturing like, uh, you know, those the sensitive plant and the Venus flytrap where they could also spark off each other even, mm-hmm. you know, so that a person seeing it happen, it would look like just roiling activity. Uh, but really, mm-hmm. it's just a whole bunch of quick, single right. singular movements. It's, yep. it's a plant bear trap. Yeah. Just, well, it's like the sea of mouse traps. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It would look like a bunch of ravenous serpents. <laughs> no. Yes. Well, and a person, uh, our, our, our Victorian white guy walking into the scenario could easily see this and go, oh yes, these vines wrapped around and dragged this person yeah. into this area. They, they, they wrestled them down. Oh yeah. I also feel like with the, like the beautiful flower, I feel like that, like I, like I was kind of saying, like, I feel that like that would be like prime fodder for some sort of myth about like luring young women to their depths. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. This is the kind of story Dustin would tell. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Dustin. <laughs> you talked about the, uh, it's not a cinematic universe, but like, how does this fit in your uh, spooky? Oh, the spooky verse? Oh yeah, yes. the spooky verse. Good point. Oh man. I am a I fan. So right. does, this, does the rose, uh, does the Venus guy trap live in the same forest <laughs> as like, does it live in the same forest as our shrew vampires? Right. Is this just like the, if you have blood, you don't want to be here. <laughs> kind of environment <laughs> if you have blood <laughs> if you have blood turn back now i mean that you know the shrew pyre has to be transylvanian so that's true it's i mean this could Roma- I, this I, could be up there like roses are very temperate so like right yeah. right <laughs> not this rose <laughs> yes this is a passionate rose you know what i you know it's funny talking about plants because people have asked that question it's like oh yeah the spooky verse and our fans who coined this term yes the spooky verse uh of all of our spooky monsters living in the same world uh it's always been of course animal centric yeah uh, this series this year is going to help us fill in the <laughs> ecosystem right some of the deadly background to yeah. our deadly mm-hmm. <laughs> uh monsters yes very cool. It's a vampire-y vampire world. It's got vampire plants, it's got vampire animals. <laughs> I mean, a a recently engorged shrew vampire would be a prime snack. <gasps> Absolutely it would. Oh, for yeah. the death rose. Mm-hmm. The murder rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, Ideal. The corpse vine. <laughs> <laughs> the funeral flower. Ooh, that one's not too bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> Now you wrap it up. <laughs> That's the first of our plant monsters. That is one down, three to go. Our next one will be next Saturday. Yeah, these will come out every Saturday in October, except for the first. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this, there, there's at least one, three Saturdays <laughs> to go. Three more plant monsters. Hey, not just us. Not just us. Returning will be... It'll be our, me. Our favorite botanist. <laughs> our special guest. Yeah. As always, uh, we should mention, uh, like Will said, this is for fun. This is uh, none of this is definitive. We're not married to any particular ideas. This is not real. Uh, if you listening have fun thoughts about things you thought up while, while we were discussing this, ideas you had for a cool, speculatively evolved human eating plant, let us know. And as has kind of become tradition because of our awesome, awesome listeners. So awesome. Uh, if anyone wants to draw art. <gasps> if you are inspired oh God, to do artwork yeah. of our spooky things or anything we mention on the podcast, please, please sh- show it to us and we will share it around. Yeah. Tag us, send it to us. We will happily share this because we love it so much. It's so cool <laughs> to get to see our dumb creations. <laughs> It'll go up on the bulletin board with... With the rest of our spooky yeah, art with downstairs our in our living room. Oh yeah, I was thinking about like yes, we'll put it on like the digital refrigerator. Yeah, no, I yeah, have I have an art wall. There is a there is a bulletin board downstairs. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, also, it, uh, a lot of these would get like names. So this this could be named for the scientist who discovered it. So it could be like Baumgartner's oh, funeral yes. flower. <laughs> I. Please. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, we'll wrap up the first episode of this year's Spooky. And we'll see you all next time for the next monster plant. Can't wait. Ooh.
<laughs> Bye. 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 Don't feed the plants. <laughs> <laughs>